I'm Samantha. And you're listening to Reaper Tales. And today I'm going to tell Montana about the Easter Sunday Massacre. But before we get started, Montana, what are we drinking? Uh, it's a pick your poison. This is a dark one, uh, friends. Dark. Um, That's why she gave it to me. She's like, yeah. hey, let's swap, let's swap order. She did me a favor and did hers early last week so she said uh but also you have to do this one <laughs> yeah i was not gonna cover that i'm never gonna get like super dark i may on occasion i'm not afraid of the dark side but it's not it's not gonna happen so it's pick your poison i'm drinking um a beer from legal remedy which is kind of a local brewery to me uh, it's called Double Indemnity. It's a double IPA. It's pretty good. I, I really like it. Appropriate for this episode. Yeah. Um, I needed something a little lighter after researching this one and delving deep into the dark. Um, this one's going to have a blanket trigger warning. So uh, I went with Yellowhammer um, Brewing, which is a local brewery to me in Hunt, here in Huntsville. And uh, I went with my one of my favorite ones from them, which is T-minus. It's a tangerine Kolsch beer. So it's a little lighter on the lighter side. Um, it actually makes me smile because my husband and I had it on our, for the day we had our first date, I had a couple of these. So it always makes me think of that. Y'all are so cute. It makes me sick. I, hate I know. It. You tell uh, me that regularly. <laughs> you know, I'm like over here, I'm like hitting the. <laughs> Double up. Yay. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, um, that being said, are you ready to hear about this? I don't know. I I took a nap in the car ride home, and I have not slept much. So this might be an interesting one. By the time we get to the second episode tonight, I feel like I'm uh, going to be a little bit. Uh, uh, you might be giggly. Yeah, yeah, that might be a good way of putting it. Um, like I said, this one's dark. Um, I'm going to just start the episode with a blanket trigger warning. This is another gruesome one. So if you don't want to hear about a mass shooting and brief descriptions of the shots and crime scene, then you may just want to skip it. And I'm just going to have to put it like that because there's no way I can do it before each and every area. That also being said, um, Montana is probably going to insert uh, things that will make us laugh at interesting intervals because that's um, one of those things where it gets so dark sometimes you need a coping mechanism and it's not that we're laughing about the case in the smallest sense of the word it is it gets very awkward at points because it does get so dark and sometimes we need to add some brevity to lighten it up and get through it so yeah and I'm so uncomfortable with serious stuff that I make unfortunate jokes in general any serious stuff and especially this stuff I know so without further ado let's get started Easter Sunday, March 30th, 1975, would go down in history as the day of the deadliest shooting to ever occur in a private home in American history. But to get started, let's talk about the character that started it. James Urban Rupert, I think is how you would say it, was born March 29th, 1934. According to his reports, his early life was sad and abusive. He heard his mother tell him more than once that he was a mistake because she had wanted a daughter. 
His father, Leonard, was violent and abusive with a quick temper and no patience for his sons. He died in 1947 when James was 12 and his older brother, Leonard Jr., was 14. And from all accounts, it sounded like nobody missed his dad when he was dead. I mean, including people that knew them. Wow, wow. (laughs) One of those situations. Once their father passed, Leonard Jr. became the head of the family at the ripe old age of 14. James reported later that his older brother picked on him relentlessly. Though, honestly, after I tell the whole story, we'll see how much of James's reports on his life you'll believe to be accurate. Or maybe, maybe the truth was stretched just a bit. Well, if, I mean, and this is, well, I'm going to get backlash for this. But I'm going to go ahead and say it. Never trust a man. <laughs> there never trust a man that you know is about to commit a very serious crime for her no yeah i know just Uh, never trust women ladies just don't Uh, women are iffy but definitely not men i mean people in general people in general just ew people Uh, anyway it seems as though the brothers were opposites in every way uh in all of the ways that leonard was successful james in turn seemed to be a failure James did poorly in school, didn't have many friends, and was even physically smaller than his brother, only reaching 5 feet 6 inches tall and weighing about 135 pounds as an adult. This there were also some reports that he was like really um, asthmatic and had a lot of illnesses when he was growing up, so he was just kind of the smaller, sickly child. This would be like comparing you and I if we were actual <laughs> siblings. Like, seriously, you're the successful one, you're taller... You know, more I'm taller. We're both successful. I don't know if I <laughs> go with that. Um, we're both we're both fairly attractive. So I don't I don't think this is really describing the two of us outside of the height. Um, Whatever. It's fine. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. James was so unhappy at school and at home that he attempted suicide by hanging himself with a sheet. When he failed, he merely accepted that he was destined to live an unexceptional life. That's literally what it said. So I'm assuming he said something along those lines. So he only tried it. He did try it the one time, as far as I can tell. Never tried it again. As can be imagined, his resentment of his brother only grew as they aged. James flunked out of college while his brother graduated with a degree in electrical engineering and even shined in sports. Obviously, he didn't do that. Leonard eventually earned a great job with General Electric while James remained unemployed and lived with their mother. GE is a great place to to work. I'm just saying, uh, if anybody from GE is, I'm not going to say that because that'll actually, you know, I'll get in trouble for that. I'll get in trouble for that. Nobody nobody start looking into who I am. Let's not open that door. Possibly, worst of all, to him at least, Leonard actually married one of James's few girlfriends and had eight children with her. That's fucked up. That is that is pretty fucked up. That would be like me. That would never happen though. Okay, so <laughs> like, you like you going after one of my exes. <laughs> and there's only one that I've met, and I would never touch that man. <laughs> no, no, that would not go. That would not go well. Um. To make matters worse, James had borrowed money from his brother and his wife after he lost quite a lot of money in the stock market crash of 1973 and 1974. 
When it was obvious James wasn't going to be able to maintain a job, Charity, that's his mother's name, grew exasperated by him and his constant drinking and threatened to kick him out of her house. It seems that was the last straw for James and it drove him to do the unthinkable. I mean, but uh, hang on. But all this, now take it, this is why I say take it with a grain of salt. These are all, I mean, most of this is all his telling, but at the same time, you're unemployed. Okay, I get it. It's hard to maintain a job sometimes. It's hard to do things. But drinking, you can seek help for that if you are having an issue with it. And if you can't afford to pay your bills, you should not be affording to drink, especially when you're living with your mother. Yeah, for sure. Which is kind of what I was going to say. But at the same time, I was like, addiction doesn't really, really knows no bounds when it comes to like. And they didn't have great help at the time either. Yeah. You need a support system when you're going through things like that. I say as I drink a beer. Fair. Also, you're going to hear sniffles because I'm sure Montana's not going to be able to get them all out. I may even cough. I am still recovering from an illness that I've had for the last three days. So and bear with I me. I was around a cat this weekend and I'm still <laughs> a cat for so. That's it. <sighs> all this Take it all in. <laughs> I can't. I can't breathe. <laughs> On James's 41st birthday, if you noticed, it was the day before the massacre. The day before the massacre, the witnesses later reported seeing him shooting at cans with the 357 Magnum along the banks of the Great Miami River in Hamilton. Later that Wait, night. Where is this at again? I'm sorry. I know I sent you the information, but I started reading it when I sent it to you. I was like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> She's like, yeah, Ohio. Oh, Ohio. That's yeah. not unusual to like shoot can like. And I'm not, I mean, I'm a big advocate for gun control and things like that. I do have my own guns, however, but I'm a responsible gun owner. But growing up in the East, Southeast, Northeast, a lot of people have guns and they do shoot cans outside. I mean, we shot them in our backyard because we could. So I'm not saying this is uncommon. I'm just saying the day of his birthday, there were multiple witnesses that reported seeing this. So... If they reported it, it must have been of note. Well, and I guess it wasn't a public place. Anytime I shoot, it's on private property, and it's yeah, where that's, nobody's that's in key. range. Yeah, on the on the side of of the river where people might be walking around. Probably or it's not in, good. You know, an actual shooting range. I mean, witnesses are are stating that they see it, so it's people walking by. Um, but I mean, it could be a range. It doesn't say specifically it's not, or it is, but it just says along the banks. So I'm assuming it's not a shooting range. I mean, I've never been to a beach. I'm not saying that this doesn't happen. You never know in this country and seeing people do a target practice on the beach. So this is very true. Uh, America later that night, he was seen at the 19th hole cocktail cocktail lounge where he talked to an employee there named Wanda Bishop. She later would report that James seemed deeply depressed and talked about how demanding his mother was being and that she threatened to evict him after stating he quote needed to solve the problem end quote. He left the bar around 11 PM and then returned later and stayed until 2 30 AM. While he was there, he was asked if he had solved his problem, and he replied, quote, no, not yet, end quote. What's so interesting to me is, like, he seems like this big old loser, like, straight up. Just can't can't make friends, can't, like, make connections with people, yet he talked to this Wanda person. I mean, well, but he was a local, so he knew these people, and he also had a drinking problem, so he probably knew the people at the bar quite well. Yeah, fair. Okay, yeah. 
And so, eh, yes and no. And also, once you have a few drink- drinks in you, we all know it makes it a little easier to talk and the social anxieties kind of start to dissipate a little bit. That's true. I'll also, I want to go ahead and apologize. The neighbor dog is losing his ever-loving mind. Um, I can barely hear it, but I don't know how okay, that'll go good. through with the recording. We'll see. On Easter Sunday, Leonard Jr. and his wife Alma and their eight children arrived at Charity's house on 635 Minor Avenue after attending Easter Sunday service. James was upstairs sleeping off his night of drinking. And while they were there, the children enjoyed hunting for eggs in the front yard and later played in the living room while the parents and their grandmother were in the kitchen preparing lunch. Around 4 p.m., James woke up and grabbed his 357 Magnum, two 22 caliber handguns, and a rifle and walked downstairs. When he entered the kitchen, and I will have a little caveat here, James later told a psychiatrist that he slept most of the day, then decided in the afternoon to leave to go to a shooting range. On his way out, his brother asked him about his car. Quote, how's the Volkswagen? End quote, his brother asked. James said he took it as an insult, a judgment from the successful General Electric engineer, according to the Inquirer, where he reported it. So... I guess he took it as an, well, he was probably primed to take anything his brother said as an insult because it seems like they had a very antagonistic relationship, at least on one side of it. It sounds very antagonistic on one side. And it's like a sign of this man's like deep seated insecurities about his Mm -hmm. own self that he like, he, he like portrays anything as a slight. I mean, he could have just been asking him, is your car okay? Do you need help? Does... Maybe yeah. he had had problems with it the last time they talked. Who knows? And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there weren't slights and there weren't like these little innuendos and like um, just microaggressions from his family. There might've been, but what it sounds like is this dude is truly unhinged. He's incapable of, you know, taking care of himself or seeking help that he so readily needs. And, He's already upset because he feels so demoralized by his own mother. And then his, anything could have set this dude off. Yeah. Having somebody who's at a higher like level than him, like successful, handsome, got the girl of your dreams. Ask you just a simple question. You're going to, yeah, that's it. It's there was a fire right, right next to, a, you know, a wig. And a little yeah, wind came much. through and lit it. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. So that part was all his account. That's what he told a psychiatrist. But what we know is that he entered the kitchen and he shot and killed his brother Leonard first, then Alma and Charity, his own mother. Unfortunately, his nephew David and nieces Teresa and Carol were also in the kitchen, and he quickly killed them as well, moving on immediately to the living room, where his last niece, Anne, and his remaining nephews, Leonard III, Michael, Thomas, and John, had all been playing. He immediately turned his aim on them, killing them all. From what the evidence could tell, he killed each of his victims by first shooting to disable them, and then making sure they were dead by either shooting them in the head or the heart. Uh, what a fucking crude way of wording that. I'm assuming you got that from an article. Yeah. I'm going to disable a bunch of very small children that don't have any weapons. And then I'm going to make sure they're dead. I mean, it's crude, but it's exactly what he did. 
The entire scene was over in less than five minutes. James fired 44 shots and 40 of those struck the victims. 11 people were killed. And just to recap, the names and ages of his victims are as follows. Charity Rupert, 65. Leonard Rupert Jr., 42. Alma Rupert, 38. Leonard Rupert III, 17. Michael, and they're all going to have the same last name. So Michael, 16. Thomas, 14. Carol, 13. And 12. David, 11. Teresa, 9. And John, 4. So the kids were all between the ages of 17 and 4. Fuck this dude. So if you notice, he dispatched the oldest first um, because they happened to all be in the kitchen. The adults were all in the kitchen. The oldest son was in the kitchen and the older daughter was in the kitchen. And he had over 40 rounds of ammunition. Yeah, he fired 44 shots. And like, I understand that he said he's going to the to the shooting range. And yeah, you need a decent amount of ammunition. But this is just... Uh... Yeah, and um, let me just tell you, I'm not going to post much about this. I might like post a picture of the house or something. I don't know for sure. I'm definitely going to post a picture of the family because the family just looks uh, so adorable. Um, But there are pictures that you can find of the crime scene. And it's not, obviously, they're not going to post anything that's like of a brutal nature. But there is a picture of like the living room with a picture of uh, one of the pistols just sitting on the couch. Um. And I'll get to that in just a minute. But like there were a few pictures that you could see where it was just like you could tell like he just ran out of ammo and just put the gun down and went to the next one. And it's just ugh, it was so it's so brutal. So he had multiple handguns. Yeah, I mean, he had a 37, a 357 Magnum, two 22 caliber pistols and a rifle. So he was reloading as he was going on, but the I think the rifle was an eight. It had eighteen shots in it. Everything I, else probably would have been standard. I'm gonna be quite frank with you. I've you know, anytime I've been to the range on anything, I've always taken one gun. I might take a second, maybe, but that would be very rare. Well, why would you take two twenty-two calibers? Yeah, that's true. Why wouldn't true. you just take one? It makes I mean, no what's sense. the difference? It makes sense. So I don't, yeah, I think that's just something he came up with later. Yeah, he's trying to like alleviate his own guilt from this whole situation. I don't know that he feels guilt, to be perfectly honest. It, okay, not guilt, but maybe any type of shame he might feel coming from other people. Just as he felt like people slighted him, he might feel that people might judge him based on, you know. Maybe. If, well, if I can't imagine slapped. why they would judge Oh my God. Why, why would you judge this guy? It took James three hours to call the police. A psychiatrist would later testify that James lay on the couch for two hours after the massacre contemplating suicide. But suicide was a mortal sin and he did not want that to be his last act. Bro, what? I'm sorry, sir. You just killed 11 people, over half of which were children. I think suicide's the least of your worries. What? What? What the yeah. fuck is this dude's pro? It's a more. You know what else is a mortal sin? Fucking murder. Killing a child. Yeah. Killing a person in general, but killing a child who's just sitting there and has never done anything to you. You probably don't even know them. Living, breathing uh, child. So, 
yeah, apparently he just sat in the house during this whole time, um, which is why I say he just put the pistol on the couch and then just sat there in the middle of all of this because he sat on the couch in the living room. So these these dead children are all around him the whole time. This dude is truly unhinged because I couldn't imagine, like, it was like that one kid who killed his parents, hid their bodies in that room, and then threw uh-huh, a party. And then threw a party. Yeah. How Which, by earth- the way, if you ever get a chance to read the book written by that boy's brother, please do. It is an excellent book. I highly recommend it. And it did a lot for me for healing trauma. Um, it's about him and his psychiatrist or therapist kind of and the relationship that they had and how he kind of got through processing all of that stuff but yeah that's the same thing like there's there's a level of insanity there that's the only way you can possibly do something like this either that or you're a complete psychopath and you just don't have any feelings i mean either way you have some mental instability i mean true psychopaths aren't like they're also not insanity normal. is not an excuse by the way um it doesn't mean that oh i went insane so that's a justifiable reason that i did this no 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 that means you still need to be locked away and you don't need to be released because it's very unlikely that that insan- insanity is going to be cured yeah you truly need help you truly need help that's just my take like i don't think that this guy was insane i think this guy and i'm not a doctor don't like obviously i'm not a doctor but i wasn't gonna say anything (laughs) i just don't i don't see this guy being insane like there are like some insanity defenses that truly make sense we're not talking about things like gay panic or anything like that because that's not real but truly things that trigger like an insanity like episode can happen but that's not what happened to this guy for all accounts it sounds like he was just no this was think about it two shots to at bare minimum two shots to each person very pointed on where he shot them for 11 people that's 22 shots at the minimum he's shot double that and you're telling me that he deliberately did that and that was insanity no this isn't even a frenzy because if it was a frenzy he would have been shooting all over the place this was very this was execution style for all of these people yeah calculated it was so there's no way you can sit there and say i just lost my mind no you didn't you knew exactly what you were doing anyway The description given by the police when they arrived is chilling to say the least. When they arrived, James was waiting for them just inside the door. The scene was described as a slaughterhouse with so much blood splashed about that it was dripping through the floorboards to the basement below. Even today, some of those stains cannot be removed from the wood in the floor. Uh, Why it hasn't? Wouldn't you? Somebody lives in that house right now. Mm -mm. Somebody somebody currently lives in the house. I'll get to that. I wouldn't. No murder. I wouldn't, but (laughs) power to you if you can. The small community of Hamilton was shocked and dismayed when they found out about the murders and made headlines across the country. Those in the town that knew James never for once thought him capable of such violence and described him as a quiet, unassuming man and the perfect neighbor. Boy, were they wrong. Per AmericanHauntingsInc.com, which is the website that you sent me, Montana, 
James was arrested and charged with 11 counts of aggravated homicide. He refused to answer any questions and was very uncooperative. He made it clear that he planned to offer an insanity defense. Prosecutors believe that he planned to plead insanity and then after being, quote, cured, end quote, would be released to inherit a $300,000 inheritance. The original trial was held in Hamilton. A three-judge panel found James guilty of 11 counts of murder and sentenced him to life in prison. A mistrial was declared and a second trial was held in Finlay, uh, Findlay, Ohio, about 125 miles north, since it was decided that James could not get a fair trial in his hometown. The second trial began in June 1975 and the prosecutors offered new evidence about James's target shooting and statements about solving his problem, which I have already mentioned. In July, he received a, a new sentence of 11 consecutive life sentences in prison. James appealed, and a new trial was granted in 1982. Defense attorney Hugh H. Hallbrook, convic convinced his client was insane, personally funded the hiring of expert psychiatrists from all over the country. On July 23rd, another three-judge panel found James guilty of two counts of first-degree murder, his mother and his brother, but found him not guilty of the other nine counts by reason of insanity. He received one life sentence for each guilty count to be served consecutively. Between 1972 and 1976, the death penalty had been suspended in the United States as a result of a pending U.S. Supreme Court decision, so James could not be sentenced to death for his crimes. But, so but he had two fuck? additional trials. No, yeah, I know. And then lastly, it comes out, okay, he's only two. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. He still gets two life sentences, but... I mean, yeah. yeah, I guess it doesn't matter, but I mean, but it does matter. That he is eligible for parole. Yeah, it does matter. It, and it, 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 it also matters in the sense that, okay, it got bumped down. He's been through tri two trials. It, it got bumped down. What happens if he goes to another appeal? Then they bring up the second one and they bring up the charges. He could get a lesser sentence based on that. Unless he's... In no, theory, I but I think he had run through his appeals at that point. But it's a new sentencing. Yeah, true. So well, and, and the other thing, that was one count. Um, I'll, I'll mention it in a second. But one, this one said that it was a three-judge panel on the last one. Yeah. Another um, news article that I found that I think is probably more reliable said it was a jury, but that which would make more sense. But I'll get to that. So during the trial, Butler County Prosecutor Michael Gos Moser, I guess, described the scene, and it is horrifying. I don't know how the jury was able to listen to his account and see the photos, jury or judge. The children did not die immediately. That's why I specifically said they were disabled first. There was evidence that the tr children tried to get away before he shot them in the head to kill them. That's I won't go any, into any more detail than that, but there's definitely more detail in the articles linked in the show notes, if you care to look. I wouldn't advise it. No, I don't. <laughs> he also said they found a book in James's room about how to commit the perfect murder, which he found ironic since this was anything but. What the? F and you're telling me this is not premeditated. Exactly. Which is why this person, this prosecutor was like, yeah, no, we're not. We're not going to say insanity. This was planned. A lot yeah. of forethought here. Also, quick note. Apparently, the three panel judge trial was in lieu of a jury trial. And James chose that option because he had been told that the judges would have to unanimously agree on the verdict. 
it would turn out that that's incorrect and it just needed to be a majority a majority as two judges found him to be sane and convicted him and one of the judges found him to be insane yeah thus thus the retrial was granted on the first appeal because he was able to prove that he was not uh correctly versed in his rights as far as the trial process so that's why he got a second trial whatever that's but but, that first but but the second retrial was granted and he still went with the jury panel from what i could tell by the time he got to the third one he decided he wanted to do a jury well the whole thing about it and if anybody out there is a criminal and you may ever be tried in court in the united states do not and i'm not helping you um this should be something simple that you should know your lawyer's probably going to tell you this anyways don't go with the judge panel no. Don't you think they're going to be more lenient on you because of whatever reason? They're not. They're fucking jaded. Okay. Let's just put it this way: this was People... this was a white male, <laughs> and it didn't help him. Don't go for it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Sorry, yeah, I just, just had don't, to put it in there. Don't, don't. No, but you're right. <laughs> you kill your entire family, and you expect the judges to be like, "Oh yeah, sure, yeah, I get it." Man, that would drive me nuts too. Yeah, no, they're not going to do that. They're going to throw the book at you. And you have better luck, like, on a jury, because a jury has to be unanimous, and there's 12 of them. Well, the other thing, too, is the jury is frequently not well-versed in the law and all of the other tidbits. So the likelihood of you getting an appeal is a lot better than three judges who have been to law school, and most of them usually have been attorneys at some point in time. Yeah, and if your attorney is very charismatic, then those jurors may feed into that. You you have no idea. Or, you know, you're- the whole point is a shadow of a doubt. That's all that they that your defense attorney has to prove. A shadow of a doubt. Just don't ever point. go for Just a- don't create just don't just don't kill people and don't don't do a crime where you have to go in front of either and there won't be a problem. Yeah, don't do a crime. Uh that's don't commit crimes. That's our new motto. That's my, that's my advice. <laughs> don't, don't do a crime. Don't do that. Okay, so according to Fox19.com, and this is oh, this is heartbreaking, Edna Algier was the mother of the slain Alma Rupert. On the day of the 1982 verdict, she offered a scathing view of the murder, and that was the one where he got off of the others and was only convicted of two. Quote, I sometimes think I'd like to string him up on the cross like Christ and cut a little piece off at a time. I'd want him to bleed slowly, the bereaved Algier said. But if you put it that, if you put that in the paper, people will wonder what kind of a Catholic I am. End quote. I will think you are a mother who lost her daughter in the most brutal and vicious way in addition to all of your grandchildren and you're very upset and I completely understand. Yeah, you said it a lot nicer than I ever would have. (laughs) I mean, I get it. She blamed Rupert for 13 deaths, not 11. Three years after the killings, her husband, Alma's father, shot himself in the head at 4 a.m. on Easter Day. A juror juror during the 1982 trial collapsed during the trial from a heart attack and died. Jesus Christ. She's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, pre-existing conditions. But (laughs) but at the same time, which actually they do ask you that question now. Um, if you are going to serve on a jury, they do ask you for pre-existing type stuff. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't argue. I can't really argue with her. Um, she said those pictures must have got to him. 
She speculated that Rupert was jealous of his brother for marrying Alma, as they were all friends in high school. Alma was the only victim shot just once through the heart. Everyone else was shot through the head. Yeah, that's Which makes it, it kind of like. pointed. So James was sent to Allen Oakwood Correctional Institution in Lima, Ohio, to serve his sentence. He was up for and denied parole in 95, 2005, and 2015, and the next hearing was scheduled in 2025. However, on June 4th, 2022, he died due to, quote, apparent natural causes at Franklin Medical Center in Columbus at the age of 88. Good. Though the official ruling on his death, uh, I'd never, I, I didn't see anything that stated what his actual official cause of death was listed as. I hope it was terrible for him. But also, mm-hmm. like, the simple fact that somebody like that can get parole is fucking sick. It's scary, but I don't think I don't think he was ever going to get parole. I'm pretty sure he showed up and they're like, "Nope." And just no, like that. but that's not the because I think there was actually another article that I saw where the people that do the parole hearings were like, "Thank goodness that's over because now we don't have to worry about him coming back here and us having to waste our time." Well, it's not, it's not just that it it has the whole like even in a situation like that when you're talking about like somebody who is up for parole. Every time that person is up for parole, you have to re-traumatize the family of the victims because those people come and they give their own statements on why this person shouldn't get parole. It is a constant, constant re-traumatization of those victims' families. And in a situation like that, when you obviously have somebody who is so mentally unstable that they annihilated an entire family, prison may not be the best for them. They need to be in an institution never to leave again. There is, so. I, I'm sorry, but I just don't see there being a cure for that. No, I don't. Sure stay there. According to AmericanHauntingsInc.com, again, quote, in the wake of the murders, the 11 victims were buried in the Arlington Memorial Gardens in Cincinnati. A year later, the house on Minor Avenue was open to the public and all of the contents were sold at auction. It was cleaned up, carpets were placed over the bloodstains that could not be removed, and it was rented out to a family that was new to the area and had no idea of the horrifying events that occurred there. They quickly moved out. Could you fucking imagine (laughs) moving into that house? No. And then finding out what happened. After After leaving the house, they claimed to hear voices and strange noises that they couldn't explain. Lights turned on and off, doors slammed, and thudding footsteps were often heard coming down the stairs. They were not the last to move in and quickly leave. A number of other families moved in and out of the house, and none stayed for long. All of them reported sounds and voices that could not be explained. The house was abandoned for several years, but the last family that moved in reported nothing out of the ordinary. Whatever eerie haunting that had plagued the previous tenants was over at last. Perhaps the echo of the shocking events of 1975, which seemed to leave an indelible mark on the house, had finally faded away. And perhaps, after more than 40 years, the spirits of the family can finally rest in peace. Or, did this family move in after he died? No, it was before. I already have that information. Here's a first-hand account of somebody who actually lived in the house. Eric contributed the following very convincing account of ghost activity at the house. Hi, I'm from Hamilton, Ohio, and I would like you to know about the Rupert house. It is where James Rupert killed 11 members of his family on Easter Sunday. I was 9 or 10 when we moved in. We were the first family to live there after the murders. 
It was a two-story house with only two bedrooms, so I had to share a room with my two sisters. We were all asleep when my mom says she saw the hall light come on and a shadow in the hall. She woke up and grabbed the door handle and the light went off. She said we were all sound asleep. After that, I moved to the basement where you could still see the blood stains in the floor beams. My stepfather and I were down there while my mom and my sisters were out doing laundry when someone opened the front door, walked into the kitchen, and headed upstairs. He grabbed one of his guns and we went to check it out, but no one was there. Needless to say, after that, we moved out and never went back. I know this sounds crazy, but believe me, it's the God's honest truth. That, no. I would nope out of there too. (laughs) (laughs) Hell no. I have like no words for that. (laughs) <laughs> also, for some reason, this made me think of, all right, so we talk about, like, weird shit that happens. And I know this is the most random thing to talk about in the middle of this episode, but this is how my brain fucking works. I, as a responsible gun, a gun owner, I keep my guns in a safe. Previously, we used to keep one in the bedroom at night in case anybody broke in. Now, we don't do it because our house setup is actually pretty great as far as, like, if anybody breaks in. We don't have to worry about that. But I used to constantly have these dreams where I like woke up. I heard somebody and I grabbed a gun, but I'm still like dreaming. And it always terrified me that I was sleepwalking and I would end up shooting my partner. <laughs> so, there's stuff like that. Like if you feel like you're a, a ghost is in your house or something like that and you're in a fever dream, what if you're actually asleep and you're like, about to go attack somebody but it's actually somebody you know does that i mean isn't never, that the whole thing i don't think i don't worry about that um because i don't ever have an issue with like sleepwalking i'll you know laugh or cry and wake myself up but um that not so much uh i guess it's possible i just never really thought about it that way um because i mean you know we we also have guns but we have ours in a safe so it wouldn't be easy for us to get to it it's easy enough that we could stop an intruder but it wouldn't be something that i think we would do in our sleep and get in there uh so it's not something i really worry about and it constantly and and it's not it's also not automatically loaded either so we would have to load it but it's just like in those situations you feel like you're in a fever dream Because I've been here. So, see, I don't really have vivid dreams, so I don't remember mine most of the time. So, that's probably also why. Mine are fucking wild. I know. You and and Paul with the dreams. I don't know. There's so much. And especially. All of my friends around me all remember their dreams and they have vivid dreams. I, I don't. I almost never even remember mine. So. Well, it's pretty interesting. I haven't remembered my dreams in, let's say, um, a year and a half, a year and three months. Uh, and I started remembering them recently because I am coming off of my anxiety medication and I realize that I've been suppressing my dreams. Yeah. So they've been like, and it's so like, it's so intense to remember that dreams can be just as vivid and as immersive as like they used to be. Because when I was on anxiety medicine, it was just like, I just fell asleep and then I woke up. I didn't have like anything that I could remember. Yeah, that's kind of how I am. Well, so when um, I'm on the opposite end of the scale, I actually remembered my dreams more when I was on my medication. But when they put me on, they tried out uh, amyltryptoline 
on me for my migraines because it does help people sometimes. And what you do when you have to take medication for your migraines is you take a low dose and then you slowly increase it until a either, either a the migraines go away and yay, we're at the right level or B the side effects get so bad. Oops. Didn't work. We'll have to try something else. It's a really fun game to play for six months while you have a constant migraine, by the way. Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> so <laughs> I can tell you all the side effects of most of the drugs that I was on because I always got the side effects before they did anything because nothing helped. And well, was one of those. It can actually cause night nightmares and night terrors. So the, for the first time in a very long time, I started remembering my gr- dreams and they were always nightmares. And I was like, yep, nope, can't do this. I think it happened three or four nights in a row. And I looked up the side effects and I said, yeah, no, uh, I'm not taking this anymore. So you might want to get me started on something else. Yeah, no, but that's what I'm, cause I do like, I slept walk a lot when I was a kid and I like, and I do on occasion now as an adult, but it's like, it seems like I'm awake. I will have full well, conversations, terrifying. but it, it's a rare Paul's had conversations with me, but he doesn't sleep walk as much as just sleep talk. Yeah. Uh, don't okay. I know it. Sophia took after him too. Sorry. All I got right, us so... off on, on like a whole thing. I was just like, if, if we, needed to, we needed to take a minute, that got, Dark yeah, it did. Sense. I'm sorry, it, and it was so random. This is how my brain works. Like this is somebody has ADHD. Know. <laughs> At this point, we know this is like a, a crash course in ADHD for anybody who doesn't know. Uh, it's gotten so much worse <laughs> recently. <laughs> I found a report on WCPO.com that relays what one of the new owners thought and felt after finding out her new home's history. And as far as I know, this person still owns it. I couldn't. I didn't find anything that said that it had been sold by them since they purchased it. Almost every day, a car passes the house at 635 Minor Avenue in Hamilton and stops. Some people point. Some people just cruise on by. Others get out and knock on the door, asking Cinnamon Baker the same question. Do you know what happened in your house? Dude, you can come up in my house and ask me if I know what happened in my house. Get off my porch. <laughs> like, um, that just blows my, my mind. house. What are you doing at my house? I don't I don't understand some people. Anyway, Baker, 29, didn't always know the answer. She was closing on the house in 2008 when she said, uh, said her boyfriend's co-worker asked about a man named James Ruppert. Ruppert? Rupert? Something like that. He sounded familiar, Rupert. so she looked him up on Google. The first result was 635 Minor Avenue. I'm not going to read what she found because... I've already gone over what happened and the article that she found read like a gossip report and I found it very unsavory to say the least. So I'm not going to quote that from the article. Yeah. Cinnamon Baker said she couldn't believe what she saw online. Photos of the home she was days away from buying and a headline after headline that read Easter Sunday Massacre. But instead of running the other way, she wanted another look. They had... Quote, they had to fix something in the basement before we closed on the home, so we had to go back there anyway to check on it, Baker said. So I said, let's go back and see how we feel, which is perfect, perfectly reasonable. Her next visit went well. There were no bullet holes, no strange odors. The house was just like any other home. It just had a history. This one just happened to have a history everyone knew about, she said. It wasn't until after she signed the contract and moved in that Baker noticed the floorboards that I've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. In, an inter- 
In an interview with the Cincinnati Post in 1975, Butler County Prosecutor John Holcomb called the shooting scene carnage. It was so bad that when we went into the basement, you had to be careful because the blood would seep through the floorboards and would drip on you, he said. Those drips created stains and they're still there, Baker said. Replace it's the floorboards. Yeah, right. What it's are just you proof- doing? Well, I mean, this this lady is something else. It's just proof that it happened, she said. If I stop and think about it, sure, it's creepy and scary, but it doesn't make me feel any less safe being here. You it know, doesn't bother. You know, she has an entire room of just like drying sage that she just sages the <laughs> whole house every single day. <laughs> I just can't imagine being that blase about it, but hey, it's each his own. It doesn't bother Baker that six people were murdered where her two kids, ages nine and four, now eat breakfast in the morning. She's not phased that five children were shot to death where she sits to watch television before bed every night. Baker said she's not even mad at her real estate agent. According to Strauss Troy attorney Brett Renzenbrink, no laws were broken when Baker's agent didn't tell her about the home's notoriety. If a house was the scene of a homicide, the state categorizes that information as a psychological stigma, meaning a real estate agent doesn't need to tell you about it. The The Ohio Code states that the psychological stigmas are not material fact and therefore do not need to be disclosed. That's honest for any, I mean, we have listeners all over the U.S. and all over the world, but for anyone who knows, it is a, just like everything in this fucking country, it's a state by state basis. So that Mm -hmm. law is not a U.S. law. That's an Ohio law. (laughs) Yeah, they have to disclose if a homicide has taken place or if... Now, there is a statute of limitations typically. So if it's been within so many years, they can get away with that. But if you ask, they do have to tell you, which is what this one is basically. Yeah. Cinnamon Baker sits in her living room. Five children were murdered there in 1975. A crime scene photo of the living room. A handgun is on the couch. Two others are sitting on the coffee table. If Baker had asked her real estate agent about the murders, the law would require the agent to tell her the truth. It was that truth that cost Dennis Snyder thousands of dollars. Snyder, 73, owned the home at 635 Minor Avenue for 19 years before he sold it to Baker. But she wasn't his first interested buyer. When I was trying to sell <laughs> when I was trying to sell the damn home, one of my neighbors killed a deal that people had their name on for a decent price, Snyder said. That neighbor cost me about ten grand running his jaw. He's not bitter about it but, at all. Well, sir, like shut the fuck up. This is what's wrong with oh God. Capitalism is gonna kill this country. <laughs> This sentence is so funny. By the way, this is all quoted from the the article. It's it, it was so good. I just I didn't even want to try to reword it. It turns this out is- most people don't want to live in a house where someone was killed, let alone an entire family on a quiet Eastern morning. Sir, you don't say. Oh my God, Snyder said he never quite understood why. Um. What? What? No. <laughs> what? So this it's, is this. It, but- it gets better. It gets better. It's just like driving down the street. Do you avoid an intersection because somebody got run over there? It's just a building that something happened in, Snyder said. To me, it doesn't matter. I don't believe in the occult and all that hogwash. Typically, yeah, I do. It's very different from an intersection. You can avoid an intersection. When you buy a house that an entire family was murdered in, you live there. You're not driving by it. You're staying there for hours every single day, including time that you're asleep. Yeah, yeah, different. 
Also, anytime I see like one of the like crosses on the side of the road, again, anyone who's not from the U.S. or the East or Southeast, they put up crosses on the side of the road where people die. I'm just like, oh fuck, I'm not gonna come by here for a, a while because it's kind of sad. It's sad. It's well, it's sad, and I'm like, what happened? Well, then you want to look it up and then you just get down a rabbit hole. It's just no, I don't look it up because uh, I have to protect my peace. And this is, that's what it sounds yeah. like. This cinnamon. Is that, is that her name? Mm-hmm. This is what cinnamon sounds like she's doing. She's like protecting her peace. She's like, you know what? I sage the house every night. I'm not going to tell anybody about that, but like, it doesn't bother me. Like if there are ghosts here, they're probably helping me babysit my kids you're so funny let me get get through this this actually you're so funny (laughs) that you said that snyder calls ghost stories and hauntings silly from the day he bought the home in 1989 to the day he left he didn't experience flickering lights cold spots eerie sounds or anything logic couldn't explain not a thing yet the questions came as did unannounced visits by curious passersby Five teen girls once knocked on his door, but they weren't selling Girl Scout cookies. They were looking for bullet holes, he said. Their teacher had told them about 635 and what went on and suggested that they come to the house. The teacher told them to come to the house and see if they could go through and find bullet holes in the wall. Well, it sounds like we have a problem with our education system here. (laughs) There's something wrong here. I was very polite to the young ladies because they were kids and impressionable. I let them know in very polite language that they should get the hell out of here and don't bother me no more. (laughs) He sounds like who I am going to be in about. Yes, he does. (laughs) Paranormal investigators also tried to get in the home for years, Snyder said. He always told them no. Cinnamon Baker has denied them access too, despite being curious. I want to know if there's a presence here, but if they hear something that says, get out, I don't have anywhere else to sleep tonight, she said. I'd still have to stay here, and now I'd know they were angry. So basically, yeah, yeah she just doesn't want to. If ghosts did exist. They would be angry at those <laughs> like, ghost hunters. <laughs> <laughs> if ghosts did exist in her home, they've had ample opportunities to show themselves, Baker said. Her first Friday night sleeping at 635 Minor Avenue in 2008 was Halloween night. I was basically setting myself up for something, she said, but nothing. Absolutely nothing. So, you know, uh, she basically has the same mindset as you. I'd just rather not know. I mean, I'm just not going to ask the question. If, if you don't tell me, I'm not going to know. Like, my house is a newer build, and I say newer build with, like, a grain of salt. It's a little over 20 years old. Good condition. Newer blah, than blah, mine. Blah. But I swear to God... I hear stuff in the basement all the time. And every time I hear it, I'm like sneaking down. Sometimes I'll go outside and around and come through the basement. Cause I'm like, Oh, they're going to expect me to go through like the stairs <laughs> from the top to the basement. I'm like ghost. No, I'm going to sneak up on you from the outside sun. If I, if I let the sun in through the door on the outside, they can't get me. Right. Sure sure so weird there is something however that does scare baker james rupert james who is serving two life sentences was up for parole in 2015 the 80 year old denied requests for interviews i just don't see it happening but if he were to ever get parole it would freak me out baker said i don't know if i'd move out i don't know if i'd have a choice i'd have to sell the house but would anybody buy it knowing he's been paroled well thankfully she doesn't have to worry about that because he's dead 
uh, yeah. I just, Lust. I'm so, no, just one more thing about the house. Like, <laughs> in my thoughts, I just can't, like, I can't get over the fact that there have been multiple owners of this home, right? And nobody has well, two long-term owners. Okay, two long-term Yeah, that kind owners. of what, that surprises me. Why wouldn't you replace, like, even, I would. even, like, even, like, a structural, like, board, even if it was, like, a structural board, you can replace that. Like, it, it's, or just paint replace it. it. Or yeah. paint it. <laughs> you don't have to I see it. I don't understand. I don't understand why they're keeping those boards in there. <laughs> it's Maybe over they're scared of bringing it up. I don't know. It's over 50 years old at this point. Like, just replace it. You would think they would replace it anyway, but okay, whatever. So, last interesting fact. This massacre occurred just, and now you're going to hear my dogs, because it's right at the end, and that's how it happens. There's sirens going on, and so they're going to start howling. They sound very haunting, truly. They do. (laughs) This is really bad. That's that's what they do. The, my husband freaked out the first time it happened because he's like, "I've never heard them make that noise." They don't like sirens. <laughs> Poor oh my bear. Gosh. Bear's my favorite. For listeners it's out there, play bear you, doing it. If you're listening to, <laughs> uh, if you can hear the dogs outside, um, Samantha has three. I think we've been through this. Izzy, Lizzie, and Bear. Bear is my favorite. He's an idiot. I love he's him. the derpiest boy. <laughs> He's probably the one making that noise. Probably. Uh, So anyway, last interesting fact after that interesting interlude. This massacre occurred just four months after DeFeo's famous murders at the Amnitville house. (sighs) And not far away. I hate the Amnitville. We are never going to cover that. It happened. So it was just very interesting. I don't want to cover that. Um. Because technically, that's still an unsolved. I hate it. It's they know who did it, but they don't know why. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was interesting. It was just it was within four months of that massacre. Also, well, and I mean, what's also interesting is it was just within four months, but the DeFeo murders were much more heard about than these. And I think it was just because of the next people that lived in that house and the whole haunting that happened there i think that's why they got more reporting about it but this one was by far like more brutal because i mean you have eight children involved in it but there there's actually a book that i have and no it's not a factual book it's not a non-fiction book It, it is actually a fiction book but it's based it doesn't say it's based on the amityville horror like Amityville murders or anything like that. But mm-hmm. it's, I mean, if you read it, you're going to know. It's by uh, Riley Sager. Uh, and if you know who Riley Sager is, I mean, obviously, you know, it's going to be like a great book. But it is, hang on. I'm looking behind me because I know it's back here. Back. Yep, oh, there we are. Damn it. <laughs> Your cord is entirely too long. How could you go that far? <laughs> I think it's house across the, the house across the road. Anyway, 
It doesn't matter. I know. I don't know why this court is so long. Just don't worry about it. Anyways, it's a Riley Sager book. It's got a chandelier on the front. You're going to know. Great, great fiction adaptation of what <laughs> it could have been like for, you know, that, that whatever. Um, but as far as like the Amityville stuff, I don't. It's not my, just like this, not my cup of tea. I don't like it. <laughs> I'm not, you make me sound like I'm a freak. I don't like these stories, but they did happen. And the fact that I've never even heard of this one really shocked me, considering how brutal it was. Oh, true. I just happened upon it. But when I happened upon it. The only reason like why I found it interesting at all was the fact that it was so brutal and he did go to jail. He was convicted. Multiple but I had never times. heard of it. Yeah, multiple times. Reconvicted multiple times. This will be interesting because we do have like quite quite the uh um what am I thinking? Followers, listeners. We have a lot of listeners in Cincinnati. So Oh, okay. Um, yeah, if, well that's all I have. So um <laughs> that I'm not gonna go into any more detail but uh yeah if you remember it or if your parents have ever talked about it email us at reaper gals at reaper (laughs) nice segue (laughs) or you could contact us on social media facebook or instagram at reaper tales podcast yeah um also good job me (laughs) i realize i realize today oh my god uh i realized today that we may not explain this very well when we talk about like rating and uh, subscribing reviewing whatever on whatever listening platform you're listening to uh because i was talking to my husband about it and he was like well maybe it's the way you're saying it so let us be clear if you're listening on apple Podcasts, if you're listening on spotify if you're whatever platform you're listening on Go to the Reaper Tells podcast page. There's going to be a star rating. Rate it. Write a little review if you want to say, hey, Montana, I love you. Um, it'll make my day. Or Samantha. Uh, but if you leave a worded review, it actually helps other people find our podcast. I don't know why it works like that. I don't. Actually, I do know why it works like that. That's half my job. But point being is... <laughs> We're not going to get into that because that's not what this podcast is about. We're not going to get into that. He said to say it in a different way. So I'm saying it in a different way. Go like it so we get more followers so that we can do this more often. And, you know, we're not sitting in a car traveling for five hours trying to edit a podcast when your laptop's dying because you had to work 60 hours a week. Or work while you're sick. Yeah, work while you're sick. Uh, Anyways... We love you guys. Uh, We mean it. And until next time, bye. I guess. Okay, bye. The reaper will come for us all.